Father, may the words of my mouth today and the thoughts in our hearts today be ever-pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If uh, you haven't been here the past couple of Sundays, we started a series on Pentecost. It's called Shine. And the, the, it's, it's about being light in a dark world. You know, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost in order that the people of God would have the power of God to reveal God to the world. And so we've been talking about how does that happen because not very many of us are evangelists. Not many, very many of us are, are gifted. You know, if, the, if that's a spiritual gift, like prophecy is a spiritual gift and, and, and healing is a spiritual gift, well, only somewhere between 4 and 8% we suspect of Christians are actually gifted to be evangelists. So what do the rest of us do? (laughs) But we're all called to have a role in this. We're all called to to be light in a dark world. And and just to cover, if you've missed the past couple of Sundays, I just want to kind of catch you up a little bit on, ooh, I did that. I went to the wrong slide and I apologize. So how about a hand for our media team? Because they... They deserve it. I always tell, I always tell these guys, um, if nobody complains, take that as the biggest compliment that you can get. Because when they do their job well, nobody notices. And, but I tell you what, if there's something that's you know, wrong, if the lights go, everybody, people's heads turn back and they look and, and all that. But thank you guys for all that you do very much. Um, So to catch you up a little bit, we we started out, we've talked about how God loves babies. Uh, God doesn't just love the, you know, the the little ones that are, they're born, the little miniature people that we carry around and and feed and burp and change diapers. God also loves the the babies, you know, the people that, that come to know Jesus and are born again and they have a brand new life. God loves Babies in our midst. He calls them his very own children. And, and you can be that kind of a baby no matter how old you are, right? There are people that come to know Jesus in their 90s or past 100 years old. And, and they come to know Jesus and they're brand new children in his kingdom. And, and so we, part of what we do is we help to, to raise them up to know him and love him and serve him. Um, and that's why, because God loves babies, we talked about that that God poured out His Holy Spirit, and we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is very much like making pickles. Uh, the same word is, is used when, you know, in recipes from the time. On When you make a, pip, a pickle, you take a cucumber and you baptize it in vinegar and spices. And, and that means that it's changed all the way through. It becomes something different. It's not just dipped and wet on the outside. It's transformed. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is meant to transform us and and to empower us with his very own power so that we can tell what we know to others about Jesus. Because 
God wants people born into his kingdom. He wants people to come to know him. So as spirit-filled, baptized believers in Jesus, we have advantages that the people of God before Jesus didn't have. You know, we do have new life. We've got a new nature within us. We, we have the power of God upon us to, to even be able to do the same things that Jesus did. And, and because we're transformed by Him. Now, doing outreach is hard. It's difficult. Unless you're an evangelist, you, may, you, you probably, folks like you, you just love it. And it seems like people come walking up to you out of the blue and say, what do I do to be saved? And you say, well, you pray. You know, and you, you lead them. You introduce them to Jesus and tell them what. But I, I'm not like that. Um, it's hard for me. At, at least I think it is. But I know it's hard for the church. The, the churches tend to do five things. You, can, you may be familiar with this. Churches are called to worship God and to fellowship and, and build good, deep relationships with each other. You know, we're a family and we're supposed to build those deep friendships there. And, and discipleship. We're supposed to be raising up each other and encouraging each other so that we'll grow up to be mature followers of Jesus. Uh, and, and to serve we all have gifts and we're supposed to serve. But if, if you take these five things and, and, and uh, kind of assign them, it's, it's kind of like a hand that has an opposable thumb outreaches the thing that makes it work. Telling others about Jesus is the thing that brings life to the rest of it. Because if we don't have new believers, then we're just kind of sitting around with each other, us four, no more. And, and, and what we do... As good as it is for us, isn't transforming anybody else. But not only is it the thing that, that kind of gives traction to the rest of it, when you pick something up with your hand, you have to put as much pressure on that thing with your thumb as you do with all other four fingers combined, right? And in the church, it's, you have to put as much effort into outreach as a church and in what you do and in all the things we're planning, as we do in the other four combined, because we love the other four. But it takes a lot of effort to get us going in the outreach part, which is part of the reason that we plan things like Alpha that we're going to be doing this fall. The people of God have always had the privilege and the responsibility to be salt and light in this world, Right? Uh, to, we are to reveal God to a world that desperately needs to know about God. And you are light that no amount of darkness can put out. And, you know, we talked about caving and being, uh, I'll tell you, when we talked about caving and being uh, underground and turning out all the lights and how heavy that darkness seems. But then when you have one, one candle... On the other side of the room, underground, in that cavern, that huge cavern, it brings light and you can see everything. All that darkness can't put out that candle. And you're like that. Um, but, but here's something else. We didn't talk about this really. Everybody can see the flame up here, right? On these candles. 
And you can see it, even though there's a lot of light in here, but if we turn out the lights in here, can you see the flame better? You can, can't you? All right, we can turn the lights back on. And even with the lights on, yes, you can see the flame, but the flame is that much more apparent when it's dark around it. Now, there's a a little bit of a lesson in that. We talk about being lights in a culture out here. And I'm telling you, the darker the culture gets, the brighter your light shines. That's the way it's supposed to be. I, I, this week in Dallas, Texas, the province of the Anglican Church in North America, all you know, for churches from uh, Mexico to Canada and everywhere in between, we met together out there uh, for what's called the Provincial Assembly. And we had a number of speakers. There were archbishops that came from all around the world to be there and to support our church. And we had speakers, uh, we had five main speakers that, that were there. Uh, I'll tell you about one of them. Ravi Zacharias was there, um, If for those of you that know him. It was, it was a really wonderful event. But I did notice that a number of the speakers and the teachers, and we had breakout sessions every day, and a number of them were talking about how we're not supposed to be like our culture. That we are supposed to be something that stands out in in stark contrast to a lot of the things that are going on in culture. And we have this idea that the more like the culture we are, the more we'll earn the right for them to listen to us. But I'm telling you, the more like the unchurched world we are, the less they notice or the less they want to hear because they don't notice any differences in us, there's, but if we live into the kingdom of God, the difference draws attention because we're seen that much better. You get the concept of that? I hope I'm communicating that well. Um, one of the speakers that we had was, uh, well, there's Ravi Zacharias. Well, I thought I had his picture in here. Maybe I don't. I'll just go. Oh, yeah, there he is. His name is Russell Moore. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Russell Moore. Uh, He's guest commentary on things like CNN and Fox News and and all that. He gets interviewed a lot because he's a national speaker. He's a good Southern Baptist. uh, But he had some wonderful things to say. And one of the things that he said is the supernatural core of the Christian message is itself so different And so alarming that it's finally able, in a superficially Christianized American culture, it's finally able to be heard, often for the first time. In other words, the Christian message is really meant to be something that's different than everything that the world knows. Would you all agree? And I hadn't really thought about it in in terms like that before. uh, But it really is the things that are different that grab people's attention. Jesus did it differently. 
And he got lots of attention for it. Not all of it was good attention, right? The, the people that thought they knew all the religious things to do were his most vehement uh, detractors. Because he was eating with people that they wouldn't dare be around. But he was showing and revealing what God's heart really was. But it caught their attention. And some of them asked questions and some of them talked bad about him. But it was different. In fact, they said this week that any time Jesus' message seemed to be well accepted, he assumed that they didn't really understand what he was saying. And so he'd say it again and push it a little bit farther. You know, no, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have a part with me. And, and then people were starting to get, wait, this is really different, and most of them would leave. Um, Mr. Moore told a, a little bit of a story. Uh, he was in Washington, D.C. a few years ago and met a man who was a brand-new Christian. And so he's like, huh, well, that's interesting. Why are you a Christian? And the guy told a story, uh, said he had been an atheist. He defined himself as an atheist. And he lived in an area of Virginia called Falls Church. And there was a big church in that area uh, called Falls Church Anglican. Okay, it's, it's one of, really one of the foundational pillar churches uh, that we have. But they were at a, at a point where they were separating. They'd been in the Episcopal Church and they were separating for some reasons. Uh, they, and they'd lost their property. The property was staying with the Episcopal Church. And so they were having one final service on the night before they turned in the keys. And so this atheist who lived in the area decided he just wanted to go and just see what would go on. You know, because he'd known about the church for a long time. He, did, he wanted to go and he called himself a gawker. He just wanted to go and just kind of see what controversy there was. And he expected he'd go in and he'd hear some pretty upset people talking about a whole list of grievances about what was going on. He said, instead... When he went in, the, the rector, when the rector spoke, said, you know, these buildings uh, have been really important to us. said, these buildings, some, some of you have been married here. Uh, some of you have had funerals here, funerals for your parents and your, your loved ones here. Uh, but, but these buildings are just buildings. And the gospel of Jesus Christ marches onward. And he preached the gospel, and, the, and, and they sang triumphantly. And the atheist said, he just sat there, and he was dumbfounded. And the thought that was going through his head was, don't they have any idea how much this prime real estate is worth? And he said when he walked away, he was deeply troubled. But he was convicted by the fact that this was a group of people who were willing, if necessary, to go into extinction in order to hold on to the truth once and for all delivered to the saints. And it made an impression because they were different. 
And that was the seminal moment that, that made him start looking into what is Christianity really about, and he became one. Because Christians were different. They didn't act like the people that he was accustomed to. They didn't act like he would act. And, and like I said, too often we assume that we have to be like the culture in order to speak to the culture. But it's really how we're unlike the culture that draws the culture's attention and gives us a reason to speak to the culture. There is something that tends to happen in people when they notice differences. And some people... It depends on the differences and what we're talking about. But, but when we notice that somebody is different, we might respond with fear. We might respond with curiosity. Many people do ask questions. You know, why, why do you do that? Why are you like that? How can you believe that? Peter wrote the Apostle Peter, the one who followed Jesus, uh, ended up writing some letters to Christians in his area 2,000 years ago. And, and here's one of the things that Peter said. He said, uh, if someone asks about your Christian hope, and he assumed that there would be people that would ask, right? And, and why, would, why would people ask if there wasn't anything that caught their attention. Do you follow that logic? But if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to talk about it. Because there are going to be people that come and they ask. Not everybody will ask. Some people won't notice. Some people won't care. Some people will not like it. And some people will ask. And when they ask, be ready to talk about it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. That's good advice, isn't it? Uh, our, our challenge, I think, if we want to shine in the world, which we have the power to do, we have the command to do, we, we're made to be different. I mean, it's just in us to do it. If we want to shine in the world, it's not only about being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can tell other people about Jesus and doing good and helpful things to show that there's a God worthy of praise. Uh, not being afraid to act in ways that honor God, even if it goes against the, the, the flow that culture's going in. We're supposed to be ready with answers when people ask about it. And, and this is, I think, something that everybody can do. We're not all gifted with the spiritual gift of evangelism, but this is something that all of us can do. We should know why it is that we do these things, because these things are different. The good news is you don't have to go to seminary to have those answers. You don't have to know uh, 
your your Anglican theology back in front. You don't, you know, eschatology, soteriology, Christology, pneumatology, ecclesiology. You might not even know what these words mean. I'm not saying that you don't need to know. You need to study and show yourself approved. You need to dive in and become familiar, but you don't have to wait to do this until you got a degree. And if you have found something that's made the difference for you to say yes to Jesus, you have something to share with the next person. You can start right where you are. Don't worry about what you don't know. By the way, keep on studying and learning and growing. It'll, it'll help you grow. But you don't have to worry about what you don't know and what if they ask questions that I don't know the answer to. That's okay. Say, wow, what a great question. Do you mind if I look into that and get back to you? That's an okay answer. But what you do know in your relationship with Jesus is a good place to start. And you should be honest And you should be vulnerable. And you should be willing to find out the answers that you don't know. And you should be respectful and gentle with people. Uh, That's what I really admire about Ravi Zacharias. If you you don't know Ravi, I encourage you to go to YouTube and look up. Look up Ravi. He, he's uh, an apologist for the faith. He, he, he defends the faith. He has a, a way of explaining to people that don't know about God and his ways. He has a great way of explaining to them where Christians stand on certain things and why they stand there. And people will ask all kinds of questions. It's, it's amazing. Some of, some of them are, are pretty upset when they ask him questions. And when you watch videos, you, you know, they're little short videos at times. You can watch a whole evening if you want. But when somebody asks him a question, this man is so gentle and so full of grace. And, and he always respects the person that, that asked the question. He's always patient with them. And, and then he gives, you know, very well thought out answers. He's got a lot of understanding. He's a brilliant man. But what gives him the audience to speak to people is that he's patient and full of grace and gentle and respectful. Because if he were yelling, people wouldn't give him the time of day. You know what I mean? And what a, what a model that is for us. Uh, I had a little ex- experience with that. You know, I, I may have told you about this before. Uh, one of the things that happened in my life is, is in college, for a lot of my college years, I was in a dorm. And uh, in the dorm, we had um, little whiteboards that we everybody would put one of these on their door. And it was a great place to leave messages. Hey, Fred came by. You know, you weren't here. Meet me at the game room at 6, you know, and stuff like that. So we'd have those on our door. And uh, when, so when I moved in, I was a, I was a Christian and it wasn't long before people started finding out that I was a Christian. And some people were making fun of me. And, and some people would intentionally um, cuss around me or do things that they thought I'd get mad at. They were trying to push my buttons. And, you know, it didn't bother. I was like, whatever. It didn't bother me. And I was participating in all the things that we did as uh, uh, 
as a, a hall together. You know, we'd go and have activities. I was hanging out with folks and making friends. And after a while, one night I came home and scrawled on my door in some kind of a drunken language was a question. And it said, and it's a little indelicate, so I apologize for that, but what it said was, if God is so good, why does life suck so much? I have no idea who wrote it. I was like, huh, what do I do with that? I was like, somebody actually got drunk enough that they went ahead and asked a question, maybe that they've wanted to ask for a long time. So what I did was I went to the computer lab because you didn't have laptops at that time. And I went to the computer lab and I typed up a page and a half or two pages of, you know, the, even though God is good, there is trouble in the world. But, you know, God promised he would be with us. And, there, you know, so I, I, I put some things and talked about my experience a little bit. Then I taped it up next to my door with a question on top of it. Somebody asked this question. Here's some thoughts. And I would come come back to the dorm and, you know, turn the corner out of the stairwell. And I'd see people, you know, up, up at my door reading it. And when they saw me coming, they'd kind of <laughs> walk away. You know, but what a great thing. A lot of people would read that. And guess what? I'd come home, come back to the dorm uh, late at night, and I found more questions. And I don't know who left them, but every one of them, I'd, I'd have some response and put the answers up. And I kept coming around the corner and seeing people read it, you know, and all that. Well, when I started a Bible study, a couple of the guys, not many of them, but a couple of them came to the Bible study. It was kind of a Bible study for folks that don't do Bible study. And a couple of them would come and, and some of them would stay. One guy is now an Anglican priest. His name is Jeff. lives up in Atlanta. Uh, but he was a part of that Bible study. Now, I'm not saying that he did it because of me, but he would say, I had a, a role in the things that God was doing in his life. And, and so I'm not saying do this so that you can make Anglican priests, I'm, but I'm saying you can have a role in people's lives if you do this with gentleness and, and respect. Uh, another little story, Russell Moore, going back to, to Russell. He told, this was, I thought this was a really neat story. Uh, by the way, I'll tell you in, at the announcements where you can find his talk online. You can look it up for yourself. But uh, he said, he was talking about this very topic, and he said he was in, uh, in San Francisco doing an interview, a radio show interview, on a lesbian talk show. You know, and here he is, you know, outspoken Southern Baptist guy, and it was like, you know, so we're, we're all like, ooh, what, what happened? And he said, he said the, the host was wonderful. She was a good interviewer. She was kind. Um, she, she, was, she told him, said, we're not taking calls today because I don't think that would go well for you. But she asked him a lot of questions. You know, she said, basically, they were talking about sex and sexuality and marriage and, and all this. She said, you know, we, we know, I, I know that you 
believe that sex should only be reserved for when you're married and that you think that married people, it, only a man and a woman should get married and all that. I've got questions. And they spent the hour with her asking questions about that. And she, she said this. Um, during the commercial break, she leaned over and said, I just, I just want you to know why I'm doing this. She said, in my community, we don't know anybody that believes what you believe. And it's so weird and it's so strange that people are curious as to what you believe and why you believe it. And because you seem able to talk about it, that's why we invited you on the show. Now, I'm not saying that everybody came to believe what he believed, but it was because he was different that they had questions. The, the host said this. She said, um, in, in our community, when I hear that somebody after two or three, I think I can say this, when, after two or three dates, if somebody hasn't gone to bed with the other person, we don't assume that it's because they have a moral conviction or religious obligation or anything. We think that there's something psychologically wrong with them. But, but you're different. You say that you have a moral conviction about that. That's, we have questions. And so, you know, it was, a, it was a good experience from him. He said he wasn't offended. And he said, actually, um, as strange as this stuff is for you to hear... He said, the, and the Christian sexual ethic really is hard. It's been hard for Christians to follow over the past 2,000 years. But as strange as this is for you to hear, we believe stranger stuff than that. <laughs> he said, we, we actually believe that a previously dead man will one day show up in the sky on a horse. Don't be afraid of being different. Be concerned with always following God and worshiping God and, and wanting to put a smile on His face. And don't be afraid of how culture may look at you. Some people won't like it. Some people won't care. Some people may be curious and ask questions. So be prepared, because if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Do it in a gentle and respectful way. Amen.